You are now listening to an awesome sermon from the St. Louis Dream Center. Grab a pen and some paper. You're in for a treat. called Hostage, and this movie uh, was starring Mel Gibson, and Mel Gibson was a millionaire whose child had been abducted, and they were holding him for ransom, and, and there's this powerful scene in the movie, if you've seen it, where he's on the phone with the guy who's asking for the ransom. I think the ransom was about a million dollars, something puny like that, and he on the phone sits and says, I'm not paying you a thing, and hangs up. And his wife goes hysterical. The FBI, is they're recording the conversation. Everybody loses their mind. They're like, why would, you, why would you do that? Why would you say that? Because everybody knows that in a hostage situation, when demands are made, if those demands aren't met, usually somebody's dying. And in this movie, it reminds me of how our lives can be. See, before Christ came, we were all hostages to the enemy. We were in bondage, and there was no way for us to be free. And then God could have easily said, you know what? Let me leave them right where they are. But he says, no, he wasn't like Mel Gibson. He wasn't going to take chances with that. As a matter of fact, he, he wanted us so bad and wanted us to be free so bad that he came down himself wrapped in flesh to die on the cross, to pay the ransom that was owed for our lives. First Timothy chapter 2, 5 and 6 puts it like this. There is one God and one mediator. This is not on the screens between God and us. The man Jesus, God's anointed, who gave his life as a ransom for all so that we might have freedom. He didn't give his life just so we could stay in bondage. He gave his life so that we could be free. See, to be a hostage to something, it is you are bound by a person, organization, And what they want in exchange for you is security, pledge, or even in some cases, money. There is an exchange that has to take place when there is a hostage to set the hostage free. And we know that Jesus paid the price for us to be free. So therefore, today, maybe you don't know this, but if you believe in Jesus and you're a child of God, whatever has held you hostage no longer has the legal right to hold you hostage. And what I found is this. We know that we're free in the spirit, but we don't walk that freedom out in our everyday lives. And it is as if, it is as if the thought is we, we aren't free, but we're still held captive to whatever that thing was. Maybe, maybe today you're, you're being held hostage by rejection, by loneliness, by failure by divorce, by that abortion, by that situation. And and even though you believe in theory that God has forgiven you and God has set you free, if I asked you how you live your everyday life, you still live like a person who's tied up. See, freedom 
expressed is real freedom. Freedom that you just think you have in your mind isn't freedom at all. And you know, I, I've, I found this to be true. Because how many of y'all know Satan doesn't play fair? He doesn't play fair. And, and, and this is what he does. He, he comes after you as a child. He doesn't know what you're called to. He doesn't know the purpose of your life. He doesn't have that kind of information. But can I tell you this? Simply because you have breath in your body and you're created in God's image and God's likeness, you are a threat to him. And his first role is to keep you from coming to Jesus. But after you come to Jesus, he tries to set up perpetual things to keep you from walking out the fullness of who you are. And this is what I learned. He will always try to get to you before you know who you really are. Think about this in Exodus when God is, you know, he's prophesied that there is a deliverer coming to Israel. And and this young man, uh, Moses, who isn't born yet. And yet Pharaoh gets wind that there is a child coming to deliver Israel. So he throws out an edict, kill every boy under the age of two. See, because he wants to get you when you're defenseless. Then we fast forward to the New Testament and, and Herod gets wind that there is a savior coming to the world to overthrow his kingdom. So he throws out an edict, get every baby under two. See, what Satan was trying to do to them physically, he's trying to do to you on the inside. And something, a fracture happened to you when you were young. Maybe it was a word from a parent. Maybe it was a rape. Maybe it was molestation. Maybe it was your parents were on drugs. Maybe it could be whatever, but it is his assignment to set up something to have you held down to before you know who you really are. Because if he lets you find out who you are, he can't overtake you. And when I look at this, I think about the, the psychological story of an elephant. There's a story that says, a friend of mine was passing by elephants, elephants. He suddenly stopped confused by the fact that these huge creatures were being held by this small rope tied around their legs. No chains, no cages. It was obvious that the elephant could at any time break away from the ropes that were tied. But for some reason, they didn't. My friend saw a trainer nearby and asked why these beautiful, magnificent animals just stood there and made no attempt to get away. He said, well, when they were very young, that same size rope was tied around their legs at that young age. They couldn't break free from the rope at a young age because they weren't strong enough. As they grow up, listen to this, as they grow up, they are conditioned to believe that they can't break away. They believe, let's see, they believe the rope can still hold them so they can never break free. My friend was amazed. These animals could at any time break free from their bonds. But because they believed 
They couldn't. They were stuck right where they are. See, that thing that happened to you when you were young, when you were a kid, when you weren't mature enough to understand what was going on, when you didn't understand or know what you know now, isn't it something that something that happened to me in my place of immaturity, now that I am mature, now that I am older, still holds me in bondage even though I know better? Because this bondage is not a physical bondage. And I will submit to you that it is not just a psychological bondage, but it starts by being a spiritual bondage. But today, that rope that was tied around your leg no longer has power to hold you from fulfilling the thing that God's called you to do. But since you don't believe that you can overcome it, you are stuck right where you are. Because, not not because, hear me, not because Satan is so strong. Not because he's so great. The only thing that holds you where you are is your belief. I say this, we've been going through this study on Tuesday nights about faith. And I make this statement that right believing equals right behaving. When I believe right, I behave right. But many of us are like this elephant. And what this is called, this this rope around the elephant, even though he's strong enough to get past it, it's called the stronghold. That rope is a stronghold. See, you have, maybe you, 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 you suffer with insecurity, fear, depression. And by all intents and purposes, this thing should not hold you. But since you believe that it can hold you, it's holding you. And that thing is called a stronghold. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4. For though we walk in the world, we don't fight according to the world's rules of warfare. The weapons of the war we're fighting are not of this world, but are powered by God and effective in tearing down strongholds erected against his truth. See, the strongholds are always something against the truth of what God says about you. Whatever that stronghold is, that thing in you that says, I can't go back to school. I can't write that book. I can't be a good mother. I can't overcome this thing. Do you realize that that is a lie from the pit of hell and it is erected to keep you from walking in the truth? I love the way it's put, 2 Corinthians in the NLT, we're human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning to destroy false arguments. See, these are false arguments. The thing that tells you that you can't, the thing that holds you in place and keeps you from moving forward, it's a lie. And when you can learn to recognize it as a lie and dive into God's truth, it changes your reality. See, human reasoning, I tell people this, at the moment you get into reasoning, you are out of faith and therefore out of what God's trying to tell you. 
Great example. God tells you, I want you to go minister to this person on the corner. I want you to just go tell them, I ain't asking you to give them $5, buy their lunch. Go tell them that Jesus loves them. That's the word from God. And then what you start doing with it and what we do, well, God, what if they don't want to hear me? Well, God, what if they think I'm a fool? But what if they see those what ifs? That's called human reasoning. You're trying to reason your way out of what God's trying to tell you to do. I've learned this years ago that when God tells me to do something, I don't need to know the reason or understand why. He understands why He's telling me to do it. And at the moment, see, human reasoning is really human excuses not to do the things that you're supposed to do. And when we deal with these strongholds, these strongholds, I I, I like to call it second-guessing yourself. God is telling you to go. He's telling you to do. He's saying launch forth. And you got all of these reasons why. Well, I'm not educated enough. Well, my mama was this and my dad was that. That's a stronghold. And what that thing is doing, it has tied itself around your leg. And it has said to you, I know you want more, but every time you go to have more, I'm going to pull you back into what I say you should or shouldn't be doing. Stronghold. See, a stronghold is a way of thinking practiced over the course of years that has now set up a fortified space in your life. It is a way that you have thought about yourself over the course of years and you respond to it. You're not smart enough. Ah, yeah. You're not gifted. Ah, yeah. And what you do is you practice this over years. You just, you got used to responding to that voice, gotten used to responding to that thought. And now any thought of coming out of that, you get pulled right back into it. That's a stronghold. An example, you know, when I think about this, for some of you who say I'm ugly, not me per se, but you say it to yourself. For those of you that say I'm fat, you say I'm stupid. You say, you say all these things about yourself. And, and, and listen, here's the thing. This is the test. For those of you that say I'm ugly, when somebody says to you, you look so beautiful today. You're like, no, no, this old thing, this, no. You can't even accept a compliment. For some of you that say, I'm fat, and they're like, no, you're not fat. You, you're great. You're, no, no, I got this. I'm 15 pounds. You, your words are making excuses on even a compliment that you get from a mere human being. So if you can't take compliments from somebody that you do see, what can you do with a God that you can't see? When he tells you, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you are the apple of my eye, you are the jewel of my creation, you're made in my image and my likeness. If you can't look, if I can't tell you your hair looks nice today and you accept that, how are you going to accept that I'm beautifully and wonderfully made by an almighty God that you never see? We have to learn that these strongholds are not your friend. Fear is not your friend. 
Insecurity is not your friend. And what we need to do is stop playing the martyr role and trying to let these feelings in to dominate us just because we want other people's attention. Oh, that was a word for somebody right there. You want other people's attention so much that you walk around saying, yeah, girl, he out doing that thing again. Bruh, man, she's wilding out on me again saying that I'm not going this and I'm not going that. And you're telling the story to everybody that will listen. Oh, I wish I had my violin sometimes, man. It's just some people to walk up and they're like, I'm there. And I'm like, hmm. 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 You, listen, do you want to be free? Or do you want to be pity? Do you want to be pitiful? Or do you want to be powerful? We have to make our minds up on what we really want. I don't want the kind of attention that looks down on me. I'm not trying to grab the kind of attention to get everybody to say, woe is me. If I get attention for anything, I want to get attention by something that God has done in my life that is so ridiculous, so miraculous, so incredible, that they'll look into me and say, how did that happen? And I can point them to Jesus. Strongholds. They're lying to you. I'll never forget, you know, I was in high school, freshman year, and I mean, the train was going down fast. I didn't wait till my sophomore year to tank. I tanked going in. Set the expectation. I set it real low so that my teachers would know going forward. (laughs) But I'll never, this one guy gets on the bus, has a basketball uniform in his hand. I just got sat down off the basketball team for academic ineligibility. I just gotten sat down. But he gets on the bus. He's on varsity, has his uniform in his hand, looks at this kid sitting to my left and says, you'll never wear this uniform because you're not good enough. He looked at me and said, you'll never wear this uniform because you're too stupid. Talk about kicking a brother when he's down. <laughs> I just got told by my Spanish teacher that he wasn't going to take my F and make it a D so I could keep playing basketball. He was the coach. But he said, you're too stupid. You know what's crazy? Those words, you never think about this when it's happening. Those words would play out in my life for the next few years. I, I didn't understand the weight of that moment. And, I, you know, you're a kid, so you see, it's just words. But every time I tried to go back to school, Daryl's words were playing over and over in my head. Now, I'm a Christian at this point. Blood-bought, tongue-talking, sanctified. I'm no longer 16. I'm 20-something years old. I should be, you know, we think we should be grown up enough to be past this stuff. But strongholds don't care about your age. 
They don't care about your experiences. They will hold on for as long as they can. And I remember when I enrolled in my first class at Fontbon and was going to get my degree in business and I was struggling. Do you know what came back to my mind? What didn't come to my mind was that you have the mind of Christ. You're intelligent and there is nothing impossible to you. Do you know what words came back to my mind? At 26 years old, I became the 16-year-old on the bus again. Listening to Daryl's words. But you know, I made a decision that day. Daryl's words aren't who I am. His words don't define me. Today, I have the mind of Christ. I am able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything that I've ever imagined, thought, or could think. Why? Because the greater one is operating in me. And when I begin to see myself different, I begin to act different. And when I was failing, I didn't, there were times when I would have just quit. I said, this doesn't define me. Let me find a tutor. Let me work harder. Let me dive in a little more. Man, that one bad grade turned into an A, then another A, then a B plus. Then another, and it just kept progressing until I got my degree at St. Louis Christian College. But do you know what? If I allowed that stronghold to stay, I would have been stuck and I would have quit and I would have never been able to break past that little tiny rope that was Daryl's words. Do you realize this? Daryl's words were that little tiny rope wrapped around my ankle, keeping me from going forward. But I said, today, I'm bigger than those words. I'm stronger than those words. I break free of those words and I move into God's destiny. And you need to make a decision today that whatever was spoken over me, whatever I went through, you don't define me today. I'm the child of the Almighty. I'm an heir to the kingdom of God. And because of that, there is nothing, nothing, nothing impossible to me. See, that abuse, it wasn't you. It wasn't your fault. It was the ignorance of the people that hurt you. Those words that were spoken over you, it was the ignorance of the people that spoke them. It was their problem, not your problem. It was an indicator of how they felt about themselves, not what they really knew about you. That teacher that said you never amount to anything, it was her lack of faith. Listen, you don't have to have faith for me to go to the next level. I have faith for me to go to the next level. And what other people's words have done to us, God says, I want to break those things off of you today. Because that's not who you are. So how do we get there? How do we get there? Well, first of all, Jesus says, I came that you may have life and life to the fullest. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus makes this powerful statement in Luke 4 and 18. He opens the scroll in the synagogue, and he stands up and he's reading to these Pharisees and Sadducees. And he reads this statement, the spirit of the Lord is upon 
me. Why? Because the eternal designated me to represent or to be his representative to the poor, to preach the good news to them. Listen to this. He sent me to tell those who were held captive that they can now be set free and to tell the blind that they can now see. He sent me to liberate those who've been held down by oppression. So whatever the rope is that is tied around your ankle that is holding you in place, Jesus has already broken the rope. Can I tell you, he's not about to break the rope. He's not finna break the rope. The rope has already been broken on your behalf. But there are some things you're going to have to know if you're going to live like the rope is broken. And so the first thing you got to know is this. You got to know who you're fighting. You got to know who you're fighting. You know, rules of engagement. Some of the greatest generals, the reason why they were able to create the battle plans that gave them victory, because they knew who they were fighting. Ephesians 6 and 12, we're not waging war against enemies of flesh and blood alone. No. This fight is against tyrants, against authorities, against supernatural powers and demon princes that slither in the darkness of this world and against wicked spiritual armies that lurk in heavenly places. So see, you got to know who you're fighting. You're not fighting people. You're not fighting the man who cheated on you and divorced you. You're not fighting your parents. You're not fighting the people out there. And as long as you focus on people, Satan has you right where he wants you. You are fighting against the enemy himself. And you are fighting against his thoughts and his agenda and his plan for your life. And if you know who you're fighting, then you'll learn how to fight. So a few weeks ago, Mayweather fought McGregor. And uh, a matter of fact, I had a chance to hang out with his uh, Floyd Mayweather uh, Sr. Friday. Yeah, we hung out for all the two minutes, took a picture, said, what's up? Man, we boys. But leading up to the fight, Mayweather was talking trash. They were both talking trash to promote the fight. But on the day before the fight, one of the announcers made a distinct observation. He said, while Conor McGregor was still talking trash, Floyd Mayweather was just like, let's just fight. He said, it showed the confidence that Mayweather had that he was going to whoop. McGregor's behind because he said, we don't need to talk anymore. Let's just fight. I got this. Do you know that one of the cards showed that McGregor was leading after the third round? But this is why knowing your enemy is important. Mayweather knew that McGregor was an MMA fighter. They only fight for three rounds. Mayweather's used to fighting for 12 rounds, 49 and 0 at the time. So Mayweather's like, here, let him get all his stuff out. Go ahead, wear yourself out in these first three rounds. Do what you're going to do. And he got in some licks. As a matter of fact, McGregor got in 11 more punches than uh, Mayweather did in those three rounds. But I was going to say, but the Bible says, no, the Bible, not that, just go, forget. <laughs> That's a preaching me. <laughs> but the scorecard said, 
over the next five to six rounds, Mayweather outpunched him 130 to about 50. You know why? Because Mayweather knew who he was fighting. He said, if I just withstand, woo, if I can withstand his biggest punch now, I'm going to wear him out. I'm going to tear him up. I already have the victory. If I don't quit in the first round or the second round or the third round, when we get to the next round, I'm going to knock him out. And that's what Mayweather knows. And that's what we know. The devil will throw his biggest punch at you. But know this, we already have the victory and all we got to do is not quit. Give our God some praise. All you got to do is not give up. In your greatest failure, in your biggest mistake, even when the stronghold is speaking back to you and making you think this is it, listen, keep punching, keep going, keep fighting. You gonna win in the end. Know who you're fighting. See? When you know who you're fighting, you know how to fight. In the first part where you don't feel like you're moving forward, you just got to dance a little like Mayweather does. <laughs> Play a little defense. Okay, that hurt. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. All right, now it's my turn. And you're just coming at him. You're throwing him. Woo! Okay, I'm good. I'm good. You got to know. You know who you're fighting. You know how to fight. You don't fight by cussing people out. You don't fight by getting mad. You don't fight by holding in unforgiveness. Do you know what? That when, see, for somebody today, you need to let go of somebody. You need to forgive somebody. Yep, they deserve it. Yep, that's right. They did it. Yep, they were wrong for doing it to you. But do you realize that your forgiveness of them isn't for them. It's for you. They may not deserve your forgiveness, but you do deserve to be free. So we got to forgive and fight on. The second one is know your authority. Know you have authority. Luke 10, 18 and 19, he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. Listen carefully. I've given you authority that you possess now to tread on serpents and scorpions and the ability to exercise authority over all the power of Satan. Nothing in any way will harm you. Jesus has given us authority to dominate the things that once dominated us. And if we're going to have that authority, we got to learn how to exercise it. Having authority without exercising it is like having a million dollars in the bank without having access. It's like having a policeman who has the badge and the gun and something's going down and he doesn't shoot it. I mean, he doesn't use it. (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm going to get some water off that one, yeah. Authority has to be exercised for it to be appropriated into your life. And, and this is what I want to share with you. There, there is a prayer called to declare or decree something. And to declare something means that I'm declaring something that's already my possession. 
I'm declaring, you know what? I'm declaring that I'm saved. I'm declaring that I'm righteous. I'm declaring that God is my father and God's love is operating inside of me and for me. See, to declare something in the uh, Hebrew is it's the word akva, meaning to make known or to set forth in an accounting. It means that out of my mouth, I'm saying what's mine. I'm saying that's me ex- exercising my authority. So when the enemy comes to you and he says, you're not smart enough, you declare to him, I got the mind of Christ. There is nothing impossible to me. As a matter of fact, hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's mine and you declare it. But to decree something is different. Decreeing something is me taking what's in heaven, bringing it into the earth, and anything that opposes the thing that I'm decreeing has to go by the wayside. I can't just decree things I want to decree. I got to decree things that are in the word for me to have. So when I'm decreeing, when sickness hits my body, I decree that by his stripes I'm healed. That means when I decree it by faith, sickness has to go. Because decreeing is a part of the prayer in Matthew 6 and 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When I decree something, it's like a court order when there is a man put in jail. Or a man who commits a crime and he's standing before the judge. And the judge says, I decree you are sentenced to 10 years. The man on this side has nothing that he can do about it. Because it is the judge's decree or court order that this has to happen. Oh, some, let me, some of you, I know some of, y'all, some of y'all know what a court order is. I'm not, we're not calling names or saying anything. Man. I'm just saying, you know, you, you, you've had some of that happen in your life. We all have at some point or another. Hey, but you, you know how you felt when the court order came through? You couldn't do anything about the court order. That was a decree from the judge. And so it's just set. Well, can I tell you this? Your authority is so strong that you have the authority of a judge against somebody in a court case that when you decree it by faith, everything that is against it has to move out of the way and get in line. So when I decree to Satan that I declare and decree today, I will get my doctorate. I declare and decree today my children will be saved. They will be delivered. That means everything and anything that the enemy is doing to stop that thing from happening it has to stop because of your words lining up with God's words see these prayers Lord please I'm begging you can I tell you this just came to me while I was studying you know that Jesus never asked God the father to take care of the enemy He never said, Daddy, can you get him off me? Daddy, can you move him out the way? You know what he did? When the crazy man came up to him, come out of him in the name. No, he didn't even have to say the name of Jesus because he was Jesus. (laughs) Come out. Get out of her. Rise and walk. Get up and live. Pick up your bed and go. You know why? Because he was decreeing things out of his mouth and he was walking in the authority that was for him. So all he had to do, get up, lay down, move over, come out. So you uh, listen, when you learn to walk in God's word and begin to pray like that, the angels have something to work with on your behalf. 
Job 22 and 28, you'll also decree a thing, and it'll be established for you. See, that's what, when you're speaking God's word, that is God's word decreeing it, moving on your behalf. And then the last one, the last one. You got to know you already won. You got to know you're not fighting a battle that you're losing. You're not fighting a battle that you, you might win. You find the battle you've already won. I'm not even talking about reading the end of the story. We know how the end of the story ends. We win. He loses. We walk on streets of gold. We're going to have a mansion, a 3.8 point billion mansion. That's my mansion. I'm sorry. And I may invite you over. And what I love about it is that, you know what, if I feel like going to Walmart, because Walmart might be in heaven, I'm just going to think it and I'll be at Walmart. Uh, Starbucks, questionable if they'll be there. However, there may be a heavenly Starbucks that'll be in there. I want a caramel macchiato with soy milk, a little cream on the side. I just think it and it's right there. We already know that's the end. But I want to talk to you about victory right now. There is a victory right now that's already been given to you. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, hey, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors, overwhelming victors through Christ who loved us and died for us. We already have the victory. We're not wanting the victory. We got the victory. Colossians 2, 15, he disarmed those who once ruled over us, those who had overpowered us like captives of war, he put them on display to show the world his victory over them by means of the cross. The EXB version, God who has freed, rescued, delivered us from the power and the authority and dominion of darkness. He has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son, dearly loved, beloved son, who purchased our freedom. So see, it's not that you're waiting for it to happen. It's already happened. You just got to exercise what's already been done. And one of the words in there, it, it means that he has, to disarm means that he has dethroned. He has dethroned it, removed it from the throne or the place of prominence in your life. Means that he's removed it from its office and its authority over you. What God has done in Jesus, he has removed the power of that stronghold to hold you back and hold you down any longer. See, God has dethroned rejection and loneliness and insecurity and anger and depression and fear and low self-esteem, and he's replaced it with love and acceptance and security and peace and life and faith and self-worth. Everything that once overcame you, you have now already overcome. All you got to do is believe it and walk it out by faith. Didn't you enjoy that word? If you live in the St. Louis area or ever plan to visit, we'd love for you to join us at one of our services at 4324 Margareta at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. services. Be blessed. We hope to worship with you soon.